0: Boy, if you love paint and anybody that owns farm equipment knows what I say, what I'm saying when I say love paint, then you're going to want to listen to this next conversation. Have you ever wondered about the early beginnings of some of the implements, the tractor types that we're using and seeing today, the Deers, the Fords, the Case, the Internationals, all of that. Well, let's stop and think. That really is a part of American history. And documenting that American history is exactly what Neil Daw has been doing. He's a manager of archives and history at John Deere, and he's also got a book coming out called Tractor Wars, and it is ready and available for you today. Let's talk about this, Neil. First of all, how in the world did you come to be the manager of the archives and history at John Deere? We'll get to the we'll get to the book later, but how did you get there?
1: I got here kind of accidentally, but I. I wanted to be an archivist when I grew up. Believe it or not, there's people like that in the world. Actually, I, I wanted to be Indiana Jones when 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 I was a kid, but that led to a love of history. That led to studying history in college, um, volunteering at some, some museums. And once I started going through other people's things, handwritten letters and, and artifacts and photos and documents, I really fell in love with that. So Fast forward, I studied history, I volunteered in archives, I went to graduate school. Um, I actually took a job uh, in an archive in Virginia documenting the history of the commercial space industry, and that's when a friend of mine at John Deere called and said, hey, they're hiring an archivist. And I said, John Deere has an archive, which I didn't know. I grew up a mile down the street from where my office is today, believe it or not, and I had no idea the place even existed. So I I came into it. Kind of backwards, and and was hired as an archivist to work in in the John Deere archives.
0: Wow! And just on the road, that is strange. That interesting. Do you love the job? Is it uh, once you got into these stories? Did uh, the passion for telling about history kind of kick in?
1: It it did, and I always had the passion for that. And really, what got me going was I, I ran across a couple letters written by John Deere's nephew. So this was in the mid oh early early 1880s, I guess. John Deere himself died in 1886. And, and I, re- I remember standing there holding these letters, and, and it was from George Deere to Charles Deere. Charles was John's son. And w- one of the letters said, strictly confidential, and it closed with, please burn this letter. And that's the good stuff, because for whatever reason, Charles didn't burn the letter. Right. Um, and I thought, I thought, boy, I'm going to get you, like you should have burned it like you were told. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it just brings like, hey, these are real people having real discussions, having conversations. What are these relationships? I thought I had something juicy. It wasn't too juicy. Basically, John's nephew was hitting him up for a loan, and Uncle John said no. Mm. And so he was he was complaining to his cousin. But, I mean, that really brought it home to me because I, I grew up, you know, in, in school. I learned a little bit about John Deere and the steel plow, but I don't know that I'd ever made the connection that he was a real person. That's what it's about for me.
0: Yeah, that and that's what, it, what draws a lot of people in for sure. And you're dealing with some, I'll call it franchises, that have got a long, long history for... The United States, and especially for agriculture, which is why we're talking to you. Let's let's talk a little bit about tractor wars. It, it's uh, it's an interesting phrase, but it also speaks to what you were just alluding to. Uh, not everything was uh, kumbaya and hunky dory early on for the beginning of what we are now kind of taking for granted in some of these farm lines. Uh, John Deere, International Harvester, et cetera. Tell me a little bit about what you started to find when you really dug into things, not just John Deere, but the whole evolution of tractors, farm implements, and the companies that they've become.
1: Yeah, and, and this the, the book itself really started with Henry Ford. And I say that because I was doing research for the, the 100th anniversary of the John Deere tractor in 2018. And so, of course, I was very focused on on John Deere tractor history. And there are a couple questions that i have been asked most of my career that kind of bugged me, mostly because I didn't know the answer to it. And they seemed pretty straightforward, but I knew there was more around that. Well, it kind of led me into plows that John Deere developed for the Fordson tractor uh, in the 1920s. And I didn't know much about it. That led me to some documentation we had where Deere engineers were going to visit Henry Ford, and i just it was very strange to me that deer was entering the tractor business but building implements for henry ford and so that's really where it started and then of course getting into the just just kind of the the development of that relationship and what was going on behind the scenes really drew me into the story overall
0: yeah people sometimes forget that henry ford uh, if the auto wouldn't have distracted him he was very passionate about agriculture and a lot of components uh, from agriculture in industrial use. So continue, Neil. Tell me a little bit more about some of the nuggets that you discovered uh, that helped to make up tractor wars.
1: Yeah, the, the story really starts in 1908, um, a, a month after the Model T is introduced, and Henry Ford sends a a photo to the Farm Implement News, a publication, and says, I'm working on a farm tractor. And most people probably said, all right, so everybody else. "We we've, we've never heard of you. Of course, a year later, everyone had heard of Henry Ford, and so, really, this this era of the 1910s, you have this transition from these large steam engines, working, you know, in, in Canada and the Western United States. But you start start to see this transition to to smaller, affordable tractors. The average farm in the United States is less than 50 acres. Most people are only actually working on 10 or 15 of those acres. Um, so you see, just kind of, it's an emerging technology, and I always put it in that lens. So you have early adoption. You have a, a lot of companies entrepreneur designers who are all trying to get a piece of the action and it really takes a decade for that to kind of start to shake out and then you have these well-known farm equipment manufacturers like International Harvester and John Deere and, and Oliver um, competing with startups like um, Heart Par and, and these other companies mm-hmm. and so it, it's 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 a bit of a free-for-all in the early days mm-hmm. but everyone's everyone's doing it from a different perspective. It's not that different than than business today, and so this story very much weaves around the personalities, the decisions, the partnerships, the competition, and also the context: World War One, a, a global pandemic—believe it or not—you know the Spanish Flu, um, an Ag Depression in the 1920s. So there's a lot of forces acting on all of this.
0: Right? Yeah, Dust Bowl, uh, creation of. Uh, University Extension back in the day. Yeah, you're right. This book kind of speaks to our hearts when it comes to agriculture. When you talk about those early tractor companies, I mean, some of the names that you're bringing up, Neil, resonate with us farm kids that maybe have a couple already parked in our garage uh, or a shed someplace that our collectors we bring out for parades. But to your point, it must have been quite a compendium of work to try to survey to really get a grip on just how many players there were early on in the tractor business.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. And, and I I've, I've spent about five years specifically researching just this topic. But, yeah, the industry went. When John Deere decided to, to start development of a tractor in 1912, there were only about 11,000 tractors sold in the United States, and there was about a dozen companies doing it. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a decade, there's 150 companies in the space um, with sales of over 100,000 machines. And then by the mid-1920s, Henry Ford has 75% market share. So everyone else is kind of battling for the scraps. And you look at a company like International Harvester, who's leading the way, and then they take a distant second place to Henry Ford, and they're just trying to figure out how to compete.
0: So help us understand, you, you make a very good point. Again, like I said, Henry Ford was a titan of industry, and it wasn't just the automobile. But why did he decide that he was going to get out of the tractor business?
1: Yeah, and that's that's really um, this whole book is is kind of leading to that. Um, Henry Ford, of, of course, visionary. Um, you know, he adopts the assembly line. Um, in his words, perfects it, and so scale and price are really his major weapons. I'm going to sell more, and I'm going to sell them cheaper than everybody else, and everyone else is trying to compete with that. But what happens in the in the 1920s is is market share of the Model T starts to erode, and his son Edsel is trying to convince dad, you got to build something new. And he says, nope, the Model T is perfect. We don't kind of do anything else. Well, with each passing year, market share declines, declines, declines. You got to figure out plan B. What that does is impact everything else. And it certainly impacted the Fordson tractor.
0: So then who took the the reins from there on? Tell me a little bit more. You make a good point. Uh, Because Agriculture was ready for technology. The tractor, the iron horse, was our first go-to, so to speak. And like you said, over a hundred thousand sold in less than ten years after its inception. So, what? Who? Who led next? And were they always convinced that the tractor was the right way to go?
1: Yeah, early on, they weren't always convinced, and and that's why you know part of the title of this book is the birth of modern agriculture because it it did change everything. And and I mean a couple things by that. For one, the machine form changes. So the Fordson tractor didn't change a whole lot from 1918 to to 1928 when it was uh, available in the United States. But this is when you start to see the development and kind of the transition from, um, you know, something like a John Deere, the Waterloo boy, or an international harvester, a mogul, or a titan. You start to see kind of transition to a more general purpose type tractor, harvester. Um, you know, brings out the farm all around 1923. John Deere, the Model D, cases introducing new models. Um, so you start to see an evolution of machine forms and they're more kind of custom built depending on, on crops, where you are in the country versus a Fordson that it's one size fits all and it just doesn't work. So, so that was a big change. The other piece of that is you got to redesign every implement as well. Um, you can't take a horse drawn implement and ju- just put it on a tractor and call it a day. So now, all of a sudden, all of your implements that are being built out of wood in 1910, you're going to be hard-pressed to find one in 1920 because now you're building out of steel mm-hmm. and, and iron. They're custom-built. Mm-hmm. You start to see a lot of regulation in the industry. So A lot of things happen at once that are really building a foundation to mm-hmm. move forward from.
0: It's interesting. You bring those things up, you know, uh, having to retool the implement to get away from the horse and the tractor. We still have some of those very <laughs> same challenges in the farm implant and tractor industry again today. If you're just joining us, this gentleman is Neil Dahlstrom. He is the manager of archives and history at John Deere in Illinois, and he's also the author of Tractor Wars. That is a book I'm sure you have already decided to put on your list and to give to someone that may have. Have some of those old model tractors parked in the shed or that they pull out for parades now I don't want to take too much of your time Neil and I sure don't want to steal any thunder instead encourage people to uh, pick up a copy of Tractor Wars Any particular suggestions on how they might be able to get their hands on it
1: You can always go to my website neildahlstrom.com um, I'd, I'd go check out a local bookstore. Um, but, of course, Amazon, com that's Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere that you, you buy books, you should be able to find it.
0: Now, let me ask you, after you've put in this much blood, sweat, and tears on uh, a project like this that literally will resonate with hundreds, if not thousands, of people across the United States, around the globe, so are we going to catch you at... Uh, antique shows you know some of our our tractor parades, some of our steam and gas shows are you going to be out on the circuit or does this continue to motivate you to look for more information for possibly tractor wars too
1: um yeah absolutely because it's it's a it's a continuous story i hope to kind of be out and really the best part is this is just a platform to to start hearing stories you know everyone's got a connection i want to hear well grandpa bought a ford tin. And this, this is this is what it did to our farm. This is how it changed our lives. This is when we sold it and bought a farm all and we did this. I mean, really, this is a behind-the-scenes look at how all these things came to be, the people who were involved, the decisions that were made. But how was this, this equipment actually used? How did it transform lives? Those are the stories I love to hear and I'm looking forward to hearing from people.